my name is Sheridan Ruth, and I am here to welcome you home. This is the Exposed Podcast. we reveal the body-based ways to ease anxiety, heal trauma, and create an empowered connection with love and money using nervous system regulation and a healthy dose of self-compassion. Hello, my beautiful souls. Sheridan here trauma therapist, yoga therapist, somatic coach, and here to help you have a really loving, nourishing, safe, easeful, and pleasurable relationship, even when your mind and your body are still learning to trust it. Today, we're talking about relationships after having experienced trauma. We're going to go over signs, uh, things that might pop up that might point to you possibly having a slightly difficult time experiencing a safe and secure relationship maybe because of some trauma or chronic stress in your past we're also going to cover a little bit of why it happens and what to do instead i'm going to take you through six steps to uh, to make sure that you can recover and integrate from the difficult experiences that you've had in your past and lean into an experience more fun and more spontaneity and more giggles and more laughs and more of a sense of somebody's got your back somebody's on your team you can express yourself you can be authentic um you don't have to sacrifice who you are and you can be loved and love in between all of that beautiful uh goodness yeah Hmm. This episode is a culmination of the numerous years of experience that I have both in my own experience, having experienced trauma and uh, then leaning into a safe relationship in the hundreds of women that I have supported through relationship anxiety uh, to make empowered decisions about their relationship, commit to people despite their fears and feel good in that commitment as well as my training as an integrative somatic trauma therapist and the years before that as a yoga therapist. Take everything and see how it applies to your life and saying that there's going to be a lot of information here. So immediately what I would do is I would download this and I would just kind of keep a note to come back to it later on because what I would rather you do is pick up one, two, maybe three things from this episode that ring true, are the most true for you at the moment. Think about how you can apply them in your life. Apply those and then later on come back, re-listen and do it again. Okay. When we're working with the nervous system, a lot of what we want to do is go slowly and sustainably. Okay. So let's get into it. So there's a really wonderful quote by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. I think he wrote it in um, his book, The Body Keeps Skull, and it says, when you are traumatized, it is very hard to learn to integrate new experiences. 
trauma is not typically rationally processed. It goes into the irrational part of the brain and your body gets locked into a place of constantly reacting as if you are in a sense of danger. Interesting, right? So for the sake of this podcast, I want you to think of trauma as anything that the body experiences that it cannot process in the moment. So because it cannot process it in in the moment, your body essentially keeps a little bit of the energy, keeps a little bit of the experience in the soma, so in that uh, kind of essence that runs through your muscles and your tissues, your bones, your breath, etc. It's not rationally processing it. It's storing it and saying, okay, this is a little bit too much for me to process in this exact moment. There might be other priorities that are more important than processing and making sense of this situation, such as usually kind of staying alive and saying, staying safe. So therefore, I'm not going to rationally process this. I'm going to store it away. I'm going to focus on my primary needs. And then later on, I'm going to come and I'm going to look at it and we're going to process it. Really what's happening is your body, your nervous system is perceiving that it is not safe. It doesn't really matter what you logically think about your safety or not. Your body is saying, you know what, this is not safe. And because it's not safe, it's not prioritizing understanding things, um, being rational. It's not prioritizing even digesting and having good digestion. It's just prioritizing getting safe. And getting safe, uh, oftentimes what happens is we kind of hold this pattern, this energetic pattern in the body, and then we enter into a safe relationship and the body says, okay, this person is safe. This This scenario seems relatively safe. Now I can introduce into my human the feelings, thought, energy, emotion that wasn't processed, say, six years ago, and we can start processing it now. What happens, though, is that your nervous system doesn't have a beautiful, program like your iPhone and it's not able to say like give you a little reminder oh hello we are going to install an update or something no it doesn't it tells you okay hey I'm processing some stuff in different ways sensations emotions thoughts numbness uh, perception it just does it in different ways and it's our job to begin to decipher the language of the body The problem is that a lot of time we think the body is trying to tell us something. We think our thoughts are telling us something because we heard it from somebody or what we were thinking uh, when we thought that thought six years ago, it meant X, Y, Z. And so now that we're having it today, we think it means the same, but maybe it doesn't, but maybe it's slightly different, right? We think that we understand the language that it's trying to speak to us with, but most of the time, we get a little bit confused along the way. We misinterpret some things. It's normal and it's fine. Some of the ways that the body communicates with us to try and tell us that there's something deeper going on are things like, number one, having an insecure attachment. Your attachment style 
can be secure or it can be some variation of insecure. These are most commonly known as avoidant, anxious or disorganized. Secure means that basically you can trust somebody is going to be there and support you and keep you safe and if they make a mistake or you get hurt then there'll be repair and there'll be security and there'll be safety and that person will sometimes be in close proximity to you and then they will have uh, more distance and then they will kind of come back and you guys will ebb and flow in your intimacy and your proximity that is a secure attachment an insecure attachment has at their core a fear of intimacy, possibly a fear of abandonment, or a fear of commitment. And sometimes you have all of them at the same time, and it's very disorganized and confusing. But it's usually people who are like, oh, I'm very avoidant, or I have an anxious attachment, or I've, if you kind of ebb and flow and oscillate between, oscillate between the two of them, you might identify with more of a disorganized or chaotic uh, attachment style. These insecure attachments can sometimes be born and develop out of some type of relational trauma. There are some schools of thought that say that it happens from birth and that can be true for many, many people. However, it can also be influenced by experiences you have as a young person or an adult. It is malleable your attachment style is malleable which is good news when we're trying to go from an insecure to a secure but we can get to an insecure attachment because we've had some type of trauma some type of breaking of trust and of safety in a relationship other ways that you might be able to think oh maybe i've had some trauma in the past or maybe you identify yourself with uh, having some relational stress is Caretaking and taking responsibility for other people. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's also when you're like super, 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 super helpful and you do it out of love, but really your helpfulness is you trying to control the situation and to control the outcome. Like, hmm, I'll be really helpful and I'll write your resume for you, babe. Or, hmm, they're having a really, really difficult time doing X, Y, Z. I'm going to help them with this. I'm going to control it. I'm going to make sure it has the outcome that I need. This includes taking responsibility for your partner's emotions. When they're having a bad day, kind of taking it all upon yourself to cheer them up, to make sure everything's okay, to make sure they have the protocol to get through it and not resting uh, until they do get through it in a way that makes you satisfied. You guys know what I'm talking about. As I read through this list, it may not all make sense. I just wrote down my thoughts. Let's go. <laughs> uh, yeah, internalizing your partner's emotions. So only being happy when they are. This is similar to caretaking their emotions, but it's slightly different. It's essentially allowing your partner to their emotions to run the show. This means that if they have a bad day, well, now you have a bad day. It's an inability to be happy and content when they're having difficult emotions or more uncomfortable emotions, as well as an inability to validate your own emotions and say, yeah, I am angry and I'm sad and I'm X, Y, Z, when they're having a really good time and they're happy. And now at the end of the day, while yes, this is linked to having some type of experience of trauma, it's also because we have a lack of emotional 
intimacy and safety within ourselves. The lack of a strong emotional relationship within ourselves. Trauma can also be presented when you find yourself really doubting and having almost crippling doubt that you can't trust if you have chosen the correct person or if it's the right decision to stay together. While it's really common at different points in your relationship to take a step back and say, am I making a really good decision? This type of doubt that I'm talking about is riddled with obsessiveness or urgency or concern or concern and can take over a very very large amount of your mental creative and emotional capacity it's this going back and forth of this is a great idea no this isn't a great idea this is a great idea wait what if something happens what if we hurt each other what if he's not masculine enough what if she's not feminine enough what if what if what if what is how do i know this is a good decision i can't trust that this is a good decision it's going back and forth right that is one of the hallmark ways to identify also within this sometimes people experience kind of a doubt if they are in a safe relationship so it's kind of it's kind of like i can't trust if this is the right decision but it's also this doubt to say i i don't know if i can identify a safe relationship i don't know if this is a safe thing or kind of looking at it and being like well my brain is telling me that this is a safe and secure relationship but my body just feels like it isn't remember that your body is holding on to that trauma and so when somebody who has experienced trauma enters into a safe relationship, your body is going to relive that experience in the current reality because it hasn't digested the original traumatic experience. It hasn't integrated the original traumatic experience. I recently taught a workshop on integration and digestion. There are six phases that you go through. So while yes, it's about processing it, it's also about discarding what was not helpful from that experience and claiming as wisdom what was helpful and then embodying that wisdom. It's a, it's a process. It's a process that you go through. It doesn't look the same each week or each day. And so when we are unable to go through that process, of digesting the original traumatic experience your body thinks it's in the same it still thinks it's unsafe so you can be in a perfectly safe relationship but your body is going to tell you no this is not right there's something unsafe furthermore when you inevitably get triggered in a relationship because your relationships particularly your romantic relationships are going to bring up things inside of you that trigger big emotions that is the nature of the human consciousness. It happens. It is also the nature of close, close relationships where there is so much intimacy. But a lot of the time what happens is that we can, let's say that we are fairly regulated inside of our relationship and we're like, okay, this is good. Or even if it's not, what ends up happening to everyone is that at some point you get really triggered. Your body experiences or it feels unsafe and you go into a physiological stress response meaning you go into fight mode flight mode or freeze mode 
even though there's no danger present. And <laughs> your partner being lazy is not a danger, but it's a good example, right? So sometimes they get triggered because they do things like they're lazy, maybe, or we say, oh, they're really lazy. And the body has a physiological response. It gets really anxious. It goes into this uh, fight, fight, maybe it gets really angry. It gets really scared, goes into flight, and it wants to run away. Or it freezes and just feels numb to everything for three weeks. Even though there's no danger present, your mind and your body have kind of said, and I'm sure it's saying to you, that there is danger present because, oh my God, what if they turn out to be this really lazy person and then I've made this wrong decision and then I am gonna regret myself. I'm gonna be, you know, I'm gonna have four kids and be totally alone and depressed and I'm gonna hate my life and I'm gonna cheat on them and then I'm gonna hurt them and then all of these things and your brain will take it and run away with it. And it's thinking that there's some danger, but really what happened is he just hasn't done the dishes and he's sitting and watching uh, football, <laughs> which is really frustrating, but it's not unsafe. So it's important to know that your body does this because it's having a big reaction and it's probably responding from trauma in the past as well as discontent in the current, in, in the present. Both things are true. And it's not something that your body actually consciously chooses to do. It automatically happens until the trauma is processed through the body and the nervous system establishes or re-establishes a sense of safety in your current environment and learns that it is no longer necessary to trigger a sense of danger in the body or a stress response. For some people, this is going to require more trauma integration, more trauma digestion, more trauma processing. For others, it's going to require establishing a sense of safety and choosing how to respond in the moment more than anything and practicing your skills of response and emotional safety and empowering communication that evokes your partner to and that inspires your partner to act in a way that is supportive to you. We're going to cover that a little bit soon. Other ways that an experience of trauma in, a part, in your past can show up in your present is being really in, impulsive and actually struggling to emotionally regulate. So it's these impulsive text messages. It's, in, it's feeling like you have to speak about something now, not being able to wait. It's sharing things that, with your girlfriends that you maybe didn't really want to share it's doing impulsive shopping. It's uh, picking at your skin and because you're having so much distress inside. It's impulsive Googling. It's just this big incapacitating emotion that makes it very difficult for you to respond and you end up reacting to a lot of your scenarios. Okay, let me take a drink of tea. There are so many, my love. And the thing is, like, I've been through all of these, <laughs> all of them. And I sit down four days a week and I sit with people who are going through them. As you're listening, I want you to know, no matter what's going through your mind, as you identify with some of these or all of these, like, you're not alone. You are not alone and it can change and it will change because you're here and you're going to keep showing up for yourself. Okay, another one is a really big, 
big, big sensation of loneliness. This feeling of I am all alone in the world. I'm all alone in the world. This big, big, big feeling of loneliness. It's different to, yeah, I'm feeling lonely at the moment. It's, I am feeling really lonely and I am all alone in the world. If, if you felt this, I don't think I have words to, to articulate it, but I know that you felt this and, and, and you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. Another way that uh, you might know that there is some trauma to look at in your past is you have a difficult time with uncertainty. You want everything to be certain. You want to know the answers to everything. Uncertainty is not only scary, but dysregulating. You will do anything to avoid it. Yeah. On the flip side, you might also have a difficult time with security and stability. It might feel really unattractive and boring and possibly even unsafe. You might find yourself um, creating fights or testing your partner or just creating drama in your life because security and stability just feel totally unsafe and confusing. This usually happens when I see it that there's like a time period that you can go through where everything will be fine and then something will happen and you guys will have to have a fight or you have a lot of intrusive thoughts or some drama will occur. I had a client and she was like, everything is so great. And then every two weeks I fight, I pick a fight with him and it takes me four days. And then I look back at the end of those four days and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that wasn't such a big deal. But in the moment it felt so big that we had to fight about it. And her partner would also say, I could, you know, it was like clockwork every two weeks we would fight. And I've been this person as well. And part of me thought that it was just my hormones and it was happening around my hormones. And then when I really looked into it, I was like, oh, this is just I'm really uncomfortable with boredom and stability and safety. And I just my nervous system is asking for drama because that's where my nervous system actually thinks I'm the safest. It's not true, but my body didn't know that at the time. You also might find yourself asking for a lot of reassurance. That's things like, are you sure you're not mad at me? Um, do you actually love me? Are you sure that we're going to be okay? Are you sure that you're not going to cheat on me? Do you think this is a really good idea? Do you think that we should do X, Y, Z? Are there other people who have experienced this? Are there other people who have gone through this and it's worked? It's just reassurance seeking. You're just looking for the same uh, answer to a question you've asked before, maybe not to the specific person, but other people. You might be looking on the internet for these answers, You're looking for reassurance of something that you hope to be true. It doesn't stick. <laughs> you still find yourself asking the same questions down the line. Another one is that you're constantly looking for evidence that your partner will hurt or abandon you. This tends to be more true of people who experience more of an anxious attachment. They, or we, <laughs> we fear abandonment. Uh, so because we have so much fear of abandonment, we're preempting it and we're kind of looking for evidence that our partner is going to do it, that they're going to abandon us and that they're going to hurt us. 
at the core of this fear of abandonment really is just a fear of emotional intimacy. We think that if we get too close to that person, because we believe that inevitably they're going to abandon us or hurt us in an irreconcilable way, that, well, we may as well preempt all, the, all of that and just not get too close because if you don't get too close, then, then they can't, they can't hurt us, right? And it's just kind of like keeping tabs on your partner, keeping score, looking for evidence that, that they can hurt you. And you'll really know that your brain is doing this if I say to you something like, you can trust your partner not to X, Y, Z, and your brain immediately has a rebut and wants to argue with me and says, well, wait a second. No, because I saw, you know. So what we end up doing is we sabotage it and we act we act in ways that actually keep our partner at a safe distance. Your safe distance might be relatively close to compared to somebody else's. It doesn't mean you keep them at a distance. It's just the distance that feels best for you. So it might be relatively close or maybe it's uh, logistically close. So you like to have them at home, but there's a lack of emotional intimacy. It's not too close. You haven't, you haven't really surrendered into them. 100%. Or maybe it's easier for you to have deep discussions by a text, but you're actually more comfortable if you guys don't live together or you have a long distance relationship. You're kind of choosing the length at which you would like to keep them, the space that is in between you guys, that you feel is going to be the best for you in, in your eyes, the inevitable occurrence that they're going to hurt you and they're going to abandon you, or you're going to abandon them. You're going to hurt them. Some of the other ways that we do that is like this push-pull. I want you, no, actually, I don't. All my words tell you that I want you. My actions tell you that I don't. Testing your partner, so raising the bar, that's just like, oh, once you do this, then I'll be happy. Or once you do this, then I'll be happy. Or putting them in scenarios where you know it's going to be really difficult for them just to observe them or watch them or see how they respond. It's also for like things like looking for validation and affection outside of the relationship in ways that are not going to feel really good for your partner. And that in the process, emotionally kind of separating yourself from your partner, being super tough, pretending not to care, um, and being hyper vigilant, being suspicious of them, kind of choosing not to trust them and being really uh, almost on edge around it. This is not a comprehensive list. These are the things that I have witnessed that are the most common and that I get to uh, support people with on a daily basis. And uh, yeah, the ones that I think that for the people that are in my world are, yeah, the most common. I'm going to have a little sip of tea and we're going to look at what to do. So now that you've identified your, okay, you're like, okay, you're listening along. You're like, okay, this could be me. We're going to look at what to do now because awareness is a really big part of the pie, but it is only a part of the pie. It's not the whole pie and it's not the whole path forward. Okay, so as we lean into what, what to do, so I'm kind of like what to do next. 
I want you to know that trauma can be activated no matter how perfect or imperfect your relationship. Your trauma, your discomfort, your insecurity, your confusion is going to appear when your subconscious says now is the time. It's not necessarily concerned with what's happening in your bank account, what's on your calendar, how old you are, who the person is in front of you. It's just kind of, okay, here, now is the time. And a lot of you, I know, I know that you've probably done to an extent some conscious preparation for relationships, you know, or maybe you've been with the same guy for 30 years or since you were 14 years old, I don't know, but even those of you who have really prepared for your relationships and processed and understood and channeled, there are certain things that will only heal in a relationship. They will only, you will only have the embodied experience of change, of safety, of commitment and connection when you are in a relationship with another person. Because it is one thing to understand, process and prepare when you're not doing a dance with another person and it's another to actually do that in the moment when the rubber meets the road. So it's not like if you have stuff coming up, it's not like you failed. It's just, here's life. Life can get really chaotic sometimes. And part of our, uh, part of the curriculum that we're here to learn in life is how to expand beyond that chaos. So in general, you know, I, I tried thinking about it, journaling about it, doing the traditional things. And it, honestly, it just didn't work. And I think therapy, traditional therapy, talk therapy is so wonderful. I am a big fan of it. And you've got to get the body and the nervous system on board. You can talk about things all day, but until you've had that embodied experience of something and your nervous system is on board with the new reality that your mind wants to create, it's just it's gonna there's gonna be a lot of resistance and, and back and forthness and push and pull and ups and downs and it gets really exhausting. It's because you can logically know something and that's really wonderful and helpful, but it's different to your body saying, Oh yeah, that makes sense. I'm gonna send you the emotions and the thoughts. And the perception and the experience that align with this new, oh, this is safe. Oh, pleasure is safe. Oh, communication is safe. Oh, people are safe. Oh, connection is safe. It's different. So when we are creating a relationship as somebody who has experienced trauma in our past, what we're doing is we're using a combination of building self-worth, self-trust and safety within, as well as holding humility and care for yourself and your partner throughout the process. 
This is not a situation where it's kind of like, oh, I can justify anything because I've experienced trauma and I'm going to put up these really, really strong, big boundaries. That's very empowering at some steps of the of your path. But here I do not teach that. I teach more of the life is a little bit more gray than black and white approach. So let's look at the six steps. I'm going to go into a few of them. These are six steps that have come out of numerous trainings that I've done, personal experience, most of all just trying and testing them with other people, experimenting and pulling a lot of things together. The first thing is self-regulation. I, a couple of things here, like you can do all of the work and have the logic and go to your therapist and have the worksheets and read the books and get it all. But if you're having a difficult conversation with your partner and you find yourself getting dysregulated, freezing, cutting off, getting angry, feeling a lot of fear, you're not going to get anywhere unless you can self-regulate. You're still going to be impulsive. You're probably going to act out in ways that hurt you and the other person unless you find a sense of wise groundedness softness, ease, the connection with yourself where you're like, okay, this makes sense. I feel integrity. I'm proud of what I'm about to say. I'm proud of the way that I handled that. Self-regulation is extremely important as well because it is only when you are regulated in that your nervous system is in that social connection, social engagement state, where you can actually connect with other people, understand them, feel compassion and empathy, and work as a team. When your body perceives that you are not safe and it's in fight, flight, or freeze, it's just not interested in teamwork. It's not going to prioritize it. It's just about you and you surviving alone. So a lot of the work that we do, especially with our lifestyles uh, as humans, living in what's 2023 now we're chronically dysregulated and so we're consistently living in this stress and survival response and so what we really need to do is learn self-regulation so get regulated i have a free pdf in I use a method called the ease method i have a free pdf that details the different nervous system states and gives you a a breakdown of tools and practices that you can use without much privacy, without, without much time and without much you know, resources and tools. If you send me an email or an Instagram DM saying ease, E-A-S-E, I will send you this PDF for free. That's the first, get really good at self-regulation. Number two, emotional alchemy. So here we are regulating, we are creating a sense of response instead of impulsiveness and urgency and removing the energy from the pain either of the past or of the present, the pain that probably caused you dysregulation that you tried to work through in step one. We're using discernment when we go into emotional alchemy. And what we're doing is we're working with the energy of the emotion inside of our body to process it, to move through it. Your thoughts are not emotions. And a lot of people who experience a lot of anxiety and overthinking or uh, a freeze response or just are dysregulated and have experienced trauma have a lot of emotional energy inside of them uh, that needs to be let out. 
when I first started my journey, I spent a lot of time just moving the emotions out. Now I do it a lot less because I just don't have as much inside because I've just moved it out. That's probably going to be true for you. It's true for a lot of the people that I work with. And I do teach emotional alchemy inside of all of my programs. It is a skill. There is a specific container in which to teach it. It's not best taught over a podcast. Um, however, keeping that in mind, I want you to start getting curious. Like, how are my emotions communicating with me? Are they doing it through thoughts? Are they doing it through sensations? Try to see if you can name the emotion. What is the emotion? Pull out your emotions field. Just give it a Google and see if you can name the emotion. Get really curious about it. Maybe you think it's anger, but maybe you can be even more specific. Think about flavors of an emotion. Are you indignant? Are you fearful? What else? And most importantly, either allow the energy to be there and hold it in loving awareness until it dissipates or move the energy. Every single person who works with me will become very, very articulate in this process of emotional alchemy and very, very experienced. You become your expert on emotions and the energy of your emotions. Once again, this is not the farm. <laughs> this is not the place for me to teach that, but it is a really integral part. Your third step will depend on what you have experienced in your past and what you need in your present and what's coming up. But it's really where we do a lot of inner work. I usually think of this in general as somatic inquiry. You guys know, but I always work with the body. And so I got really curious about what is needed here. Some situations call for self-compassion. Some call for parts work or inner child work. Some call for expanding our subconscious beliefs. Some call for energy healing work. Some call for building confidence and self-trust. Some call for building just a sense of safety. It depends. But there's a somatic attunement here and you kind of say, okay, what do I need? What do I need to create clarity and confidence? The fourth step is to actually expand into the sensations of sitting with the discomfort of what you need and the uncertainty or newness. This is similar to a mindfulness or a meditative or an energetic practice. And once again, I teach all of these and I guide you through them inside of my containers. And what we're doing is we're just looking for relief and we're kind of asking, okay, what does my body need at the moment? Sometimes we return to emotional alchemy. Sometimes it's a loving action. It's this real, okay, what is needed for me to find safety and ease and love? The fifth step is to then align with your values, your view of your life, what you want to create, and you, the type of person that you want to be, how you want to communicate, um, what you want to bring into the world, what you want to experience instead, your desires. We align with your values, what is best for you, and then we take a loving action that's actually in accordance to it. 
for example, uh, one thing I talk about a lot is embodied values with communication. And so if I'm having a difficult time and I can identify that I want my relationship to have the communication that leans to more towards compassion than it does to judgment, then the question that I might ask myself is, okay, how can I communicate my desires and my needs with compassion? Or how can I approach my partner with compassion as we figure this out? The sixth and last step is to actually begin cultivating a sense of relief and safety inside. This is something that is interwoven in between all of the other steps, but this is where we really focus on mastering that embodiment, mastering your embodiment of ease and pleasure and safety and actually expanding your window of capacity to experience more goodness, more pleasure, more fun, more of the good stuff that you want because just like you have a capacity to experience uh you have a level to which you will experience sadness you also have a level to which you can experience happiness and what we're looking for is to increase your capacity to experience more happiness so that you become a happier person and you get to do more good stuff in your life hmm. speaking of this It's time that you went further than this podcast to work through your trauma and your triggers in your relationship so that you can create something that you are really proud of, where you get to feel authentically expressed and you get to feel really secure in your decisions that you make around your relationship, just like I did and just like the hundreds of people that I've worked with have done so as well. As your guide through this, I have a six-step framework that I use for transforming triggers into authentic connections that will guide you from confusion, tension, and emotional turbulence towards clarity, connection, and pleasure, yes, including pleasure. The idea is that you can say bye-bye to anxiety spirals and rumination about how you should be able to fix your relationship or doubting if you're ever going to create any type of resolve together at all. And you'll receive a tried and tested framework that works with your mind, your body and your soul so that you can find that wisdom that is bubbling below the surface of the big emotions and swimming in between all of the questions in your mind. This framework is presented in What to Do When Triggered. It is a two-hour workshop where we bring together the most important aspects of body-based regulation and inner inquiry so that you can spend less time ruminating over your relationships or going back and forth in fights that you've had a million times and more time cuddled up on the couch out dancing with friends. In the show notes, you will find the link to begin transmuting your triggers and sign up for this masterclass. You will also find it if you go to www.sheridanruth forward slash triggered, T-R-I-G-G-E-R-E-D. I absolutely cannot wait to see you there. A big and special thanks to Upturn for composing this magical piece of music and to GS Studios for mixing it. To 
find the up turns, other tracks, or ask for your own special custom piece of music, go say hello using their contact details in the show notes.